Whenever training got a little bit too hard or when the pressure was too great, you know, I would just imagine my six-year-old self uh, having fun on the baseball field and then it took me to a happy place. And then, you know, it reminded me of why I was doing this in the very first place. So, uh, you know, some people search their whole lives for, you know, their passions and what they're passionate about. And, you know, I was very fortunate, uh, like a lot of you, uh, you know, to find out that my passion was, um, you know, sports at a very young age. Welcome, everyone. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. The OSLP podcast features the Filipino athletes who took part and fought well. Listen to their stories and learn their lessons about competing and living. To receive a new episode each week, please follow our podcast and check out our website, philippineolympians.org. In this episode, we will be featuring... Miguel Molina, a national record holder in four swimming events and represented the country in two Olympics. I created a few slides and I'm just going to just essentially um, talk about my experience, uh, my journey to the Olympics and, and kind of looking back on my career and you know, which ended uh, more than 10 years ago. So it's, it's, it was a good um, opportunity for me to reflect and, you know, think about the good and the bad um, and just uh, put my thoughts together and, you know, in this presentation and, you know, share with you some ideas that I had uh, with regards to sports, which is, um, you know, actually uh, one of my passions. And I'll, I'll kind of get, get into that a little bit later. So, um, you know, I, I try to start thinking about um, the very first time I played sports when I was uh, asked to speak today. And to be honest, I couldn't really remember. Um, I feel like I've always loved um, playing sports from the day I was born. And, you know, for me, uh, competition uh, was, um, you know, competition was, you know, I was, I, I was always having fun competing, you know, for from the smallest types of comp com competitions like, uh, you know, um, being the first in line or being out the door first, you know? So for me, um, competition equaled having fun. Whenever training got a little bit too hard or when the pressure was too great, you know, I would just imagine my six-year-old self uh, having fun on the baseball field. And then it took me to a happy place. And then, you know, it reminded me of why I was doing this in the very first place. So, uh, you know, some people search their whole lives for, you know, their passions and what they're passionate about. And, you know, I was very fortunate, uh, like a lot of you, uh, you know, to find out that my passion was, um, you know, sports at a very young age. I have a, I have a connection to Japan because my parents um, moved here. Uh, I'm in Tokyo right now. My parents moved here when I was three years old. And I've, uh, besides living in the U.S. for college, I've lived here um, um, my whole life um, since then. Um, and they also taught at the same school in which I attended, you know. And as a kid, um, I had so much energy. My parents made me play a lot of sports. You know, I played soccer, um, baseball, uh, basketball, uh, tennis, swimming, of course. And then I also played kendo which is a type of Japanese martial arts where you use a sword. And I remember uh, in Kendo when I was uh, about six or seven years old, 
you know, after perfecting proper technique, you know, the Japanese style of just doing everything properly for about what seemed like hours for me, uh, you know, we had to clean the floor of the gymnasium that we're, we were using. So all of us would stand on one end of the gym and then we'd take a, a rag and put it on the floor and we'd go across uh, to the other end of the gym. And this was my favorite part. I would race everyone next to me to try to get to the other end of the gym. Um, so that was my, yeah. So, so, you know, I just love to compete, um, at a young age, but when I was about, uh, 11 or 12 years old, um, the school that I was at didn't really offer baseball at that time. Uh, so I kept swimming. And at that point I realized that I could really only focus at, on one sport at a time. And so I decided to pursue my dream of participating in the Olympics. And then I figured that if I swam at an Olympics at a young age, then I could shift my focus to baseball and then pursue a career uh, in baseball after that. You know, back to high school, uh, pre-internet, uh, my parents would read articles in newspapers when we'd come back every summer to the Philippines. And they noticed that my times were almost at the same level as some of the national team swimmers. Uh, we were never uh, sure if the times were long course or short course meters. So, you know, if, if you're not uh, familiar with uh, swimming, um, some swim meets are held in um, 25 meter pools and uh, major competitions like the Olympics are held in 50 meter pools. I remember seeing a time from a meet and thinking to myself, even if I did this time in a 50 meter pool, you know, I think I have a shot at, you know, maybe possibly making the team. So uh, my parents, uh, they sent my times to the Philippine uh, Federation. And unsurprisingly, um, I think they were quite skeptical at first. Um, of course, I think, you know, they were thinking, who is this person from Japan? Um, we've never heard of him. Is he really Filipino? Are these times even real? Um, but luckily for me, the national uh, coach of the Philippines at that time, he was Japanese, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Ryuzo Ishikawa. And I had participated in a few national events here in Japan. And he had recognized some of the competitions and he vouched for me. So I was able to, I was able to attend, um, you know, I was able to be selected for uh, the national team in the 2001 SEA Games in Malaysia. After my first, um, you know, competition as on a national team, uh, I graduated high school and then I attended Cal, as previously mentioned. Um, and, and I felt like I just fit in so well at Cal. It felt like home and I just really enjoyed my time there. So with uh, great training and great training partners in the U.S., I was able to hit uh, my Olympic B qualifying standards in four events. Um, the first one being the 200 individual medley, um, the 400 individual medley, um, the 200 free freestyle, and the 200 breaststroke. I was 20 years old at that time, and on my way to the first to my first Olympics in Athens, um, you know, the birthplace of the Olympics. So I was really, really excited. You know, and looking back, there was uh, fond memories of my time in Athens. Um, but if I stop and look closer, um, you know, it wasn't really all that perfect, uh, to be honest. You know, I think 
And, and I think this is, you know, one of the times where the politics that are involved in sports kind of reared. As I mentioned before, uh, I hit the Olympic B qualifying standards in four events. So um, for, for, for the Olympics to qualify in swimming, you know, if two or more swimmers we, um, at, that, at that time, um, if two or more swimmers from one country hit the Olympic A qualifying times for one event, um, that country could send uh, a maximum of two athletes in that event. If two or more swimmers from one country hit the Olympic B qualifying time in one event, uh, the country can only send uh, one person um, for that event. And in the 400, in the 400 medley, um, another Filipino swimmer also hit the Olympic B, B standard in, in that event. Um, my time was about five seconds faster than his, um, if I remember correctly. Um, but his 400 medley was the only Olympic standard that he achieved. Um, the people in charge of the uh, Philippine Swimming Federation at that time um, asked me to decide whether I wanted to swim the 400 medley in Athens or not. Um, I, I was torn, you know. Um, on one hand, I wanted my good friend um, and he was at that point one of the leaders or veterans of the Philippine swimming team. Um, I wanted him, I wanted to swim with him in Athens, you know, and join us. I think it would have been a great time. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I wanted to swim my best race, uh, you know, and that was, that was my, um, you know, my, my favorite race at that time. So, you know, I was, I was very conflicted and I, con I consulted with my coach and I consulted with my parents at that time. And, you know, I came to a conclusion that I wanted to swim the 400 IM and which effectively ended my friend and teammates swimming career. You know, and hindsight is 2020. Um, I didn't do well in the 400 IM. You know, in fact, his time could have probably beaten the time that I went in the Olympics. And, you know, to this day, I ask myself, did I make the right choice? You know, what if I had made a different choice, you know, um, looking back, um, you know, with all with 20, 18 years, late, 18 years later, you know, looking back, I, I kind of realized that I don't think this was a fair decision to lay on a 20 year old who was an athlete at that time. You know, I think it's a pretty big decision. Um, so this is my real first experience with the kind of politics involved in sports. And I think the Federation should have created some guidelines beforehand for this type of situation, which is quite likely that, you know, two athletes in the same event reach a B qualifying time. They, they should have created some sort of, you know, criteria on who they would take, uh, like, like many other countries have done. Almost 20 years later, I still like I still feel like um, sometimes governing bodies uh, to this day can be quite political, and you know I think I really believe that this is one factor that um, kind of hinders or prevents the the performance of you know the top performance of our top athletes. The only thing is um, some you know it just it just reminded me um, you know as an athlete you know sometimes we feel like pawns in a big game of chess that someone else is playing. Um, so, so that was just the, my, you know, experience. But despite all that, you know, when I reflect back at my Olympic experiences, I, you know, I can confidently say that it was a large majority of it was very positive.
you know, and I look very, I look back um, very fondly at the, at the journey that took me from, you know, Manila to Tokyo to um, Berkeley and then to all these different places around the world when we got to compete during the SEA Games, uh, World Championships, Asian Games. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the, the, the places that I've been to, that I have been able to go to and the people that I have been able to meet. I think a lot of people are passionate about sports, you know, and, you know, whether they love watching it like I do, I love watching sports or love, you know, playing sports like I do as well. Um, but I think for athletes, you know, for like, like me, when I look back, I was passionate about sports because of the drive to win, you know, the competitive factor. And, you know, looking back on it, I think athletes are, they, they reach their highest level of performance. If that passion is, is free, you know, it's, it's free to do whatever it wants. So, you know, when I say remove any negative influence on an athlete's passion, you know, I'm talking about like the politics um, that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, also now there's social media influences on, on athletes. Also, you know, you know, like everyday life events. I think for me, the greatest influence I had in my life uh, as, as an athlete um, was probably my high school coach. Um, so, so he was, I mean, when I say high school, he coached me from elementary all the way to high school. So 12 years. Um, so we spent a lot of time together and I mean, the main message of what he, I remember, I remember this very clearly is he, I think he mentioned it to us as a team two or three times, but it really stuck, stood out for me. And he said, um, once you think you're good, you're, you're not. So essentially the, the meaning is to stay humble and to, you know, once you reach a certain level and then you kind of surpass that, um, there's always going to be someone else at that next level. So, you know, it's always like going up higher and higher and higher. And each time you break through, you're going to break through at the bottom. So you're once you once you think you're good, then you're then you go to the next level. You're not good again. So you have to keep climbing, and at the same time, you have to always stay humble. And I told that to my college coach, and he actually said he kind of kind of took it further, and he said, um, um, you know, once you think you're good, you're not. Is it's uh, you essentially place a value on yourself, and once you place a value on yourself, you have a different um world view of who you are and where you belong in this world <clears throat> and i think that kind of speaks to you have to be humble and just know your place and just kind of keep your head down and just keep going so you know i was th really thankful to have um those two coaches and another one of my um college coaches actually um told me or he used to tell all of us that um, you know, his job was not to produce the best athlete, the best swimmer. His job was to produce the, because we were all, we're a men's team. He said his job was to produce the best men. Sports is not the only thing in the world. You know, along with sports, you have to be a great, you know, great person as well. You have to, you have to, you know, learn how to become a better human being. And then the best way to do that is, you know, if you're an athlete through sports, so his job was to also help us grow 
you know, as a college student and as a young adult to a, to an adult. I think, you know, one thing we can all do is um, as like an outsider from that athlete, we can shield them from these types of negative blockers or influences um, to just help them kind of continue on their own path and just let their passion, you know, take them to the best possible performance that they can do. And, you know, the second, the second thing that I was thinking about also is, um, you know, how to, how to harness that raw passion. So I always imagine like the passion to be like a wild horse, you know, it, it can run fast, it can just run forever, but then it might not run in the right direction. It might not run in a straight line. So, you know, I think it, for, for an athlete that has passion, it's important to cultivate it and, you know, steer it in the right direction, making sure that that passion keeps burning and keeps going is, you know, I think, you know, if I were an athlete now, look, knowing what I know, I think these two things would be, I feel like, uh, you know, a great help um, to kind of, you know, help me achieve my goals. So th that's, um, that's all I had um, for today. Um, thank you very much uh, for um, listening and in inviting me to, to speak to everyone today. I hope that um, you found this informative and I hope that you had as much fun as I did, um, you know, when I prepared and um, took, a, took a walk down memory lane. That's it for this week's episode of the OSLP podcast. Don't forget to join us next week to listen to another Filipino Olympian. This is brought to you by the Philippine Olympian Association and Adrenaline Solutions. Please check out our websites at philippinolympians.org and adrenaline.solutions. Thank you for listening.